So, how are you doing? Me, I'm not so great. I'm exhausted, anxious, sleep deprived, and just confused. And in the spirit of such matters, I didn't spend a lot of time editing this episode. Instead, I wanted to capture the rawness of how I bet a lot of us are feeling. At least, that's what I'm telling myself. So this episode is a total mess, and that's fine. Today, we speak again with Stephanie Hanger, licensed marriage and family therapist. We discuss how our patients are having trouble both remaining present and staying barely sane during the pandemic. Stephanie drops a bombshell of a quote from the Dalai Lama. I riff on the Black Plague, and we both speculate about our society as a whole and what may or may not rise from the ashes and the ruins trailing in COVID's wake. Lastly, here's a difficult question. Are our sudden and grave concerns regarding the health of our elderly coming from a place of authenticity, or are they simply a projection of our own fears around death? My name is Benjamin Russick, licensed marriage and family therapist, and this is my podcast, Look, Just Tell Me What to Do. So, everyone, I'm here with Stephanie Hanger, LMFT. What are we doing today, Stephanie? Ben, we are exploring what's going on with this COVID-19 experience. And what comes up for me is this repeated feedback I'm getting from clients about how hard it is to continue to work with colleagues in this environment because they feel so disconnected. That there's this, this way in which they're trying to show up, they're trying to do their jobs, they're trying to feel a sense of purpose, and they don't. They're feeling drained. They're feeling depleted and they don't quite know how to be with that experience and they don't know how to talk about it and they don't know how to bring it into work. And they're afraid to name it. They're afraid that if they start talking about this, that it will reflect poorly on them, that making room for the emotional experience that's going on is unprofessional and that there's no place for it in corporate commercial America. And it just makes me curious, like, well, where does that lead people if we can't shift, if we can't transition, if we can't use this time to expand into something different? Right. And I'm not quite sure how to address it. I'm not, yeah. I guess I, I, f- I can feel the despair. I can feel the grief that people are naming. Mm-hmm. I can reflect that to them. I can make space for it. And then I notice in the sessions that when I try to make that okay or allow for it, there's this reaction from people that say, like, this isn't okay. Like, it's, um, I don't know how to talk about it. I think we're talking about the fog of COVID. It's hard to talk about this thing when you're in it, isn't it? It's hard to talk about staying present for people. Yeah. That's what it is. Like there's a very real present experience we're all having all the time. In this culture, it doesn't connect with how we are conditioned to be with difficult experiences. We aren't conditioned to acknowledge the hard parts. We're not conditioned to talk about sadness and grief openly, especially in public professional forums. These are the kinds of issues that clients face every day. Is it worse now? Because I'm noticing kind of a rationing up, an amplification of everything that was already there. If someone's relationship is in trouble, it gets a lot worse. If they're having sleep issues, the sleep issues are worse. If they're got an addiction issue, that gets worse. Everything is amplified. Is that what you're seeing or are you seeing something else? Thank you. I am saying it is amplified and we're not talking about that openly. How is that different now though, now that COVID is here? So previously they would struggle with sleep. They would struggle with substance use. They would struggle with relationship issues. But without COVID, there were all these opportunities to go out and distract yourself away, Ah. to get out of the experience in the moment and to give yourself another experience somewhere else with someone else in some other venue. That's less and less available. So people really have to look at these experiences they're having. It seems like they're not set up to really be with that now in a way that's acceptable. Like they, there's this trying to get away from it, holding out. I hear a lot of people holding out for when it goes back to normal. Uh. What goes back to normal? The, the issues are still there. It's just you're going to, are you hope, holding out, hoping that you'll get right. back to distracting away from them? I see. Everybody's waiting for the vaccine fairy to come and make everything, wave her wand and make everything the way it was again. Yes. And that's not happening. It's not happening. And I, my sense is it's not going to happen. And how do we acknowledge and name that? Make it explicit 
and allow people to really dialogue around that and talk mm -hmm. about what that's like and talk about the fear in that. There's no escape right now. Mm -mm. You're in it. Do you think that this crisis is easier for introverts to handle? Um, no. In fact, it's funny you say that. I have a couple that I work with. I love them. Uh, one of them is a, a very staunch, self-proclaimed introvert. <laughs> she said to me, you know that this is a problem when even the introverts are starting to feel lonely. When the introverts are starting to feel a sadness and a grief and a loneliness, there's a sign that something's very wrong. Yeah. We're moving into a really new dimension, aren't we, as a species right now? I mean, it feels like there's a lot of opportunity here for a sense of personal expansion of how to really be and tolerate the discomfort that we're all experiencing in different ways all the time. Well, I want to pose a question because when this first rolled around, my first thought was, oh, goody, I get to finish my novel, <laughs> <laughs> which I did do. Congratulations. Yeah. And then started another one. But I, I feel like that frame is sort of, I don't know, it's deficient. It's like you have all this time to do X, Y, Z, and it's not that simple. Mm-mm. -mm. It's just not that simple. It's like, I'm freaking tired all the time. I can't mm -hmm. sleep right. Mm -hmm. I've got weird issues. Like I do have to move out of my office in the marina, probably will. You know, my mom lives over in Cal Hollow and I have to bring her groceries and which I love to do because who, who doesn't love their mother, right? But, and I'm, I'm kind of trudging all over the city. Today I went to see my chiropractor and went down there and then kind of, you know, you take a bus, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Do I, because half the buses aren't working. Mm -hmm. And then you get on the bus and that's a weird experience because everyone's staying away from you and the, the buses will actually pass you if they've got too many people in them. Hmm. Yeah. And it's like people in the street are not making eye contact. Everybody is avoiding you by more, way more than six feet. And it's hot and it's, I'm just feeling groggy, you know, because of the chemicals I took last night to get myself to sleep, mm -hmm. gained a little bit of weight. You know, everyone's cooped up. Even your friends are, they're, they're cooped up. And so there's this weird reverberating th sort of gauze of, dare I say, misery that's sort of enveloping everybody. So you don't have the, you don't have a friend to call up and say, hey, cheer me up because everybody in the world mm -hmm. is going through this. Even if you're one of those folks who is against wearing masks and F the government and COVID is a big scam and whatever, whatever you think, you're still affected by it. And it's still, it's still fucking up your life. Maybe. Maybe. Probably. I don't know. Maybe it's not. But it's it's fucking with your life. That's a better way of saying it. It's, it's it's You're being messed with. And so there's nowhere to go. It feels like there's nowhere to go to get relief. There's nowhere to like, no canyon to go scream into. I hear how intolerable that feeling is of having to stay present and stay aware. Because that's not a muscle that's worked often. It's much easier for us to be future-oriented mm -hmm. or to pontificate about the past and it's hard for us to be with the experience it's happening and there's not these escapes that we're used to and where we feel bound and where we feel angry around this powerlessness yeah and yet even as i say it aloud to you i'm more and more clear that the the world has felt fairly out of balance for a long time i mean the climate control organizations have been talking about it for decades you know wildlife sanctuaries report on it annually something has been out of balance for a long time we are forced to sit still and look like really look at ourselves look at our choices look at our experiences and not push them away i mean we could i guess you could go out and and buy like a closet full of liquor and just spend the whole time drunk or stoned yeah. or whatever you could you could escape this if you wanted to but more than anything it feels like people are they have this opportunity to look at, do they want to go back to the way it was? Or do you want to have a different experience? It feels like we have a choice, but no one's talking about the choices. Everyone's talking about the non-choices, the powerlessness. Okay. So this is not a podcast about how to use COVID as a time to improve your life and get the perfect abs. This is how to use COVID <laughs> to improve your relationships and learn to meditate and save money. Blah, blah, blah. I already did that podcast. I, I think what we're talking about is the subtlety of thinking that's needed right now to navigate this fog, the fog of COVID. This is kind of a solution-oriented podcast, and it's kind of a venting-oriented podcast, and it's kind of like, <laughs> you know, like me and Stephanie are just like 
this fucking sucks. <laughs> we it just does. want to talk it's about hard. it. Fuck this. Fuck this. Fuck this. <laughs> so let's get into that. Tell me about this choice thing because I'm curious. Oh, I mean, part of it, Ben, is, I mean, every day we have a choice, right? Every day we're just riddled with them. The way that we get up in the morning, how we spend our time. Do we eat breakfast? Do we not eat breakfast? Do you take coffee, tea, water, juice? I mean, we're constantly surrounded by choices, and yet we forget that we are. We forget that we have a lot of options for how we move in the world, how we move in our communities. And we tend to focus on what we don't have control over. We focus on what we don't get enough of or what could be better. And so it generates this sense of worry, of anxiety that we need to be afraid of the of what we can't predict or what we can't see or what we don't know. And yet we know so much. Mm-hmm. And when we slow down and we make room for all of it, like the, this fucking sucks, like that's true. Mm-hmm. And it's also true that people are reporting being able to take care of themselves in ways that they didn't feel like they had the space for before. I have a couple. Okay. I had this couple, loved them, saw them for a long time. Their number one presenting issue was they didn't have enough time for their relationship. They'd been together seven years. Mm -hmm. They relocated from another city. Mm -hmm. They both worked in high demanding jobs. One was tech, one was law. The whole point of them coming to see me every week was so that they would have dedicated, they had to put on their schedule, dedicated time to be together, to talk about the issues in their life. And because it was so infrequent for them to have that time, they needed someone else in the room with them to help moderate the emotional response they were both having because they so rarely made contact. This was pre-COVID. So COVID comes, they both feel all of the disruption around it. They're both working from home. All of a sudden, they both are getting tremendous amount of contact time with each other, even though they're both working full-time. You know, mm-hmm. they both have busy schedules. But just the sheer amount of physical presence they have with each other, I haven't seen them in two months. Like, what they were needing was some excuse to slow down. Oh, interesting. They needed an excuse to stay home. Hmm. And to not feel pressure to be out doing, 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 doing. I'm not going to say this is universal for everyone, but it occurs to me that if we can choose to look at what's here for us and still acknowledge that it's hard to grieve what we've lost, that this fucking sucks part, to me, that's that's anger Uh on top of sadness. There's grief underneath of like, man, I miss there's some things I really miss. Like I miss walking to my office every day. I miss walking by all of the shops on the way and seeing what's going on. I miss feeling the buzz of the aliveness of the commercial streets. I miss going to my corner store and having a coffee and chatting with everyone in a way that I could hear them clearly because there's no muffled contact. Right. Like, I definitely miss all of that. Those things were really important to me in a way that I didn't even realize how important they were to me. And it's like we're afraid to talk about what we miss and what's been lost because it's if we start talking about it, if we start acknowledging it and we stop denying that this is really happening, we really have to be more appreciative of what's here. How do we do that? Partly what we're you and I are doing right now is an example of it, just sitting down and talking about your experience on the bus and my experience walking to work and how much we miss those things and how painful it is to long for them and to not be able to recreate them. Mm-hmm. And there are some mornings when I am so, I just would give anything to get up and get dressed and feel that little bit of rush to mm-hmm. hurry to walk to the office on time and feel that little bit of rush that I get as my like adrenaline increases because I'm I'm walking I'm having to walk faster so I have like the extra time to set up. Right. And just that excitement and that feeling to be there on time for someone and to feel like I'm a part of the world like I I I'd give anything to recreate that. Yeah. And I I can't. I never realized how much I I really valued it and appreciated it before. Uh-huh. I really took it for granted. I wonder if this is how people felt during World War II. I wondered if this is how people feel in war zones in general. Yeah. Without the added stress of bombs bombs and yeah. artillery. Can, can you imagine? No. God. I mean, I think about other places in the world where 
just their sense of security is threatened all the time and how they how they just go on living a good life. I was reminded recently of something I'd heard the Dalai Lama say after being exiled and someone asked him why he still smiled, like why he was still happy. And he said, they've taken everything else away from me. Why would I give them that too? <laughs> wow. That's a keeper, Stephanie. It feels like, yes, we have a lot of loss going on. People are losing jobs. People are losing security. Yeah. People are losing their identities. Children are losing time with peers. They're losing developmental opportunity. Like there's a lot that's being lost and it's real and it sucks. And it doesn't mean that life is awful. It doesn't mean that we have to turn and take it out on each other and attack each other or blame, you know, the government or blame right. the president or blame. <laughs> I mean, the blaming part, the blame cycle is a way that we are moving away from the pain. If we blame somebody else for it, we don't have to really be with the reality of something that's happening. You are responsible for my misery. Which is the opposite of what the Dalai Lama is doing because he's not blaming anyone for anything. Mm -mm. Are you going to let COVID strip you of your happiness? Yeah. Why would you do that? Why would you give that to this pandemic? Why would you do that to yourself? Yeah. But if we don't talk about it, if no one names it, if we don't allow for these kind of conversations, for people to put a voice to it, for us to just keep focusing on how to make it better, how yeah. to hurry up and get through it, yeah. how to find a vaccine, how yeah. to whatever. Like your life is still happening. Your life is still passing you by. You don't know when your time's coming. I mean, that's the one thing about COVID that's been incredibly yeah. helpful. Like you don't know when your time's up. Yeah. How do you want to spend it? Yeah. That's the choice piece. How do you want to spend it? Yeah. The specter of death is certainly in stark relief these days. Yeah. How do you want to spend it? I want to spend it making a podcast with my good friend and colleague, Stephanie Hanger. <laughs> I remember, oh, it's been some years ago, someone talked about the importance of the dash on a tombstone, that there's the birth date and the death date, and that's always what gets named, right? That's what gets engraved, the beginning and the end, but the part that matters is the dash. Holy shit, I never thought of that. It's all the stuff in between, and how do you want to spend your dash? Who's the genius who said that? I can't remember. Would you find out and tell me? Because that I will try. I want to worship. Out. Go worship that person. <laughs> That's it's, it's been there my whole life. I never thought about that. It's that fucking dash. It's the your dash. whole life. Oh my goodness. Yes, that teeny tiny timeline between the beginning and the end. Your existence reduced it to a hyphen. Yes, <laughs> a hyphen. Holy shit! Wow. So how do we encourage people to remember the the hyphen? Um, I don't know. It's very different than the hymen, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> also an important, an important. This is the R-rated version of <laughs> just tell me what to do, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, that does feel like an important thing to, to remind people of is the, the, the like, the joy of like simple, nonsensical irrelevant jokes i don't think i'm gonna edit a thing out of this entire interview mm. i'm gonna leave the whole thing kind of raw oh ben i mean how are you what like what are you noticing with your clients like what what is what what feels true to you as you listen and as they check in with you well shit. i mean honestly stephanie what what I'm seeing is that people are just putting one foot in front of the other. They're just trudging along with their lives. Mm -hmm. You know, I got one guy who's struggling with addiction, you know, and he's struggling through that. I got someone else uh, with a parent who's um, struggling with their health. And I've got another one with, you know, struggling at their job, another one trying to find a job. But the, what I'm seeing what I'm seeing is little specks of light in all of this mess and this hmm. dark fog. Like I got one guy who found this amazing apartment hmm. for real cheap. Nice. I mean, real cheap. And he's all aglow. Hmm. I've got another guy who's going through some really difficult divorce stuff. And something about COVID has made that much easier because the separation piece is a given. It's like it's 
it, it kind of clarified the boundaries really, really easily. You, you know, you didn't have to make a case for why X couldn't be there and Y couldn't be over there. You know, people are, you know, they're worried about money and they're, they're mostly, they're thinking more. Hmm. They're thinking more about hmm. stuff. Um, they're tough. Hmm. I think that's what I'm figuring out is people are tougher than we think. Hmm. You know, I used to work in an inpatient facility. I worked over at uh, Altamira in Sausalito and then I worked at Bayside Marin and there was a guy there, my supervisor, Dr. Hannah, who would probably be terrified if he knew I was talking about him publicly, but I love him and he's gorgeous and wonderful. And so I shall not disparage him. If you're listening, <laughs> Dr. Hannah, I love you to pieces. And, um, Are you CYAing? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And people would often treat the patients with kid gloves. And uh, he turned to me once. He said, you know, they're tougher than you think. Mm -hmm. And he's right. Mm -hmm. He was right. And I started, at, when he told me that, I started giving them like harder, much harder feedback. It was one of those grounds. People would sort of walk around and kind of shepherd people to group and stuff. I wasn't a therapist yet. I think I told one guy he was complaining about the cost of rehab. And I said, how much is, um, what's a funeral cost? Hmm. He's like, what? I was like, well, how much is like, like, like I saw this deal on coffins the other day. Like some of them are like $15,000. You know, you can get them down to like $13,000. You can get like a really simple one, like a wooden, really simple wooden one for like, you know, a couple grand. What do you, can you, can you, what's the whole thing cost? The family coming, transport time, all that. I was being, you know. Facetious. Very facetious. But tough. Mm -hmm. And just like saying the obvious thing, which is what would you rather do? So I think people are tougher than we think. But this fog is annoying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm also feeling a sense of uh, a, a, a sense of fatigue and a kind of almost like a mold that's growing over people. Can you say more about that? Because when you talk about the annoyance, mm -hmm. for me personally, and for many people I worked with over the years, annoyance, in my experience, is the light side of anger. It is. Hmm. I hadn't thought of that. It's a difficult experience that we don't always know how to talk about. We we'll say, "I feel annoyed." And all of a sudden that's a signal that everyone needs to like do something different or pull something together or like back off or something. And mm. so I'm curious about hearing how people are expressing first anger and what feels unfair to them about this. Right. And then what's underneath that? Like what's underneath that feeling of this is unfair? Oof. I don't know. I haven't I haven't dug there with my patients. Because I, I agree with you. This feels annoying in many ways, yeah. which to me is the lighter side of anger. And when I like sit with it, I'm like, what? what's annoying about this? Well, something feels unfair. Right. Okay, so what feels unfair? Does it feel unfair that the planet has sent us this virus that's creating a, a pandemic? Right. What's unfair about that? This is the same planet that's been trying to get our attention for <laughs> I don't know how many decades saying, you're destroying the water, you're destroying the air, you're destroying the trees, you're destroying, like how else is it gonna get our attention? What's unfair? Unfair to, to what, to whom? Yeah, Seymour, my old therapist, uh, he was once having an argument with his wife and he kind of stopped at one point and looked at her and said, what does God owe you? And that kind of was a shift in their marriage, I think, because the implication there is like, what are you entitled to as a being on this earth that you would come at me for these little, you know, indiscretions of life and of coupledom that you think that you are owed this sort of lawless existence that that somewhere there's a contract out there in the universe that says you're going to get everything you you are entitled to. Well, it's interesting to hear you say that because there is some part of me that definitely believes mm -hmm. that we all at birth sign a contract and that we actually are going to get what we're supposed to get. Mhm. Mm but with that agreement, we're also agreeing to what's hard about it. We're also agreeing to carry some of the weight. In the wisdom traditions, there's a, a saying, the one who, who carries the light also risks the burn. Ooh. You can't have one without the other. You can't be here unscathed. Yeah. You don't get to come here and not have any responsibility or accountability for your part. If you're going to carry the light, you risk the burn or you, you feel the burn. So do you think we're all getting burned right now <clears throat> as a species in a way? Maybe. We're feeling the burn for the privilege of existing in a way. 
Well, we're being brought to the realization that um, it's precious. Yeah. <laughs> it's special. Yeah, it Your is. life is special and it's precious and it can be gone at any moment. Yeah. And anything can show up. A brand new virus can show up and threaten it. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do about it. Nope. Nope. Like, I mean, that COVID is one mutation away from being something that, I mean, you know, like during the Black Plague days, mm -hmm. bubonic plague, mm -hmm. <laughs> people would get a cough at like in the morning and they would be dead by noon. Yep. Can you imagine? Killed half of Europe and they still don't even know which damn disease it was that killed everybody. I was watching this documentary on, there's like five candidates really yeah i don't think i knew that like anthrax and um this uh fever disease i forget what they called it and there's some speculation that it wasn't even necessarily the, the mice and the fleas that it was something else because it was spreading so fast how could fleas spread something that quickly just the confusion and chaos of it all anyway i'm kind of getting off track but you know and and from out of the the plague you know, what happened was, is that it, it actually got us out of the dark ages hmm. in a way, because it, for one thing, reduced the population, which I'm assuming would create more resources to go around, which is a very grim statement, but lots of arts flourished after that. And it just kind of things took off. That's what I feel like is very possible here is people have been stuck in these ruts doing these jobs. That they they sure fucking have. They don't like, yeah. they're unhappy. And this is shaking <laughs> it up. This is saying like, a whole bunch of people. Yeah. And I, I get that it's scary. I get that there's something about the security of working somewhere, even if it feels mindless to you, that at least it gives you a sense of stability for shelter. Uh-huh. And what else is possible when you're freed of that? When yeah. you can't do that anymore? Right. What do you get to connect with? What do you get to bring forward? What gets expressed? That's true. I mean, I've had to not do jujitsu and I'm working on like yoga and stuff and getting stronger. And your novel, my gosh, how long have you been working on that? that you 20 years. <laughs> right, like that. Who knows what, what, what that's going to lead to for you? Uh, probably absolutely nowhere, but uh, at least it's done and I'm not spending any more time working on it. <laughs> so maybe it just freed up my schedule a little bit. There you go. I mean, the population issue seems important to address, Ben, because... When something gets really out of balance and there's a natural need to correct, I don't understand why humans feel like this is such a personal affront to this species only. Say more. I hear in the paper, I see in YouTube videos and other things, people making these broad statements of how dare you not wear a mask? Right. Who are you to go around possibly infecting other people and putting other humans at risk? and this and that, as if the human race is the only and most important species on the planet. Right. According to whom? Humans. Right. <laughs> there are so many other species on the planet right. that contribute in all kinds of important ways that we have not been very thoughtful or careful or caring about and have destroyed and wreaked havoc on and left in despair. And I haven't seen any humans really getting upset about the rainforests. I mean, there there are groups, right. in all fairness, but the overall larger population of the world kind of forgets about that. Right. And so I'm I'm wondering, like, why are we so special that we're so worried? I hear people being like, "Oh, if you're not so worried, why don't you jump off?" Or, you know, like, but there's some part of me that trusts, like, if this is my time, right? If I'm going to get sick, if I'm going to catch it, I mean, I'm being thoughtful. I don't see the need to go out and expect everybody to play by my rules only. There's lots of way, there's lots of paths to the same place. I wonder, if it's like seeing the world from the perspective of the, of the bees. You know how the bees have been declining worldwide? Mm -hmm. Like I wonder if, if the, you know, if the bees somehow communicate and they're like, if there's like this crisis amongst the bee community of like, you know, our numbers are dwindling, we're dwindling, what the hell is happening? This is really scary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I, don't, I mean, I'm kind of yes. being a little bit silly, but. Yes. You know? Like, yes. But you don't really think about how terrifying these poor fucking bees. You don't see that many bees these days. Nope. And what about that? But because they're so small and it's not clear to us what their benefit is, we disregard them, even though they have tremendous benefit. If you don't spend a little time being curious about the world around you because you're so absorbed in your anxiety, right? then those things become not important. So 
so here's the question even though we're kind of talking about the mud of this whole thing and how just how foggy it all is where do you think we're headed as a, as a species or as individuals like what's this i mean i know this is pure speculation but what do you think is going to happen stephanie is it going to go back to the way it was or is the world is the site is the collective unconscious or the collective i should say going to digest something and spit out something very very new in a year or so or more or whenever this clears you know people have been spending more time inside spending more time even introspectively looking at do they want to keep doing this you know i hear all over here in san francisco transplants from every state even every country saying you know what's been so interesting about this is i've been able to keep my job and I realized I could move anywhere and do my job. I don't need to stay here. I don't need to feel bound to this location. I realized that my skills are very fluid and can be accessible from anywhere. I mean, it's giving people, I think, more permission to choose mm-hmm. where to go. Mm-hmm. The other thing that comes up that feels kind of related to that is like the school system. We've got thousands and thousands and thousands of students out of school for probably a year. What happens when everybody is not falling in line and following some rote requirement in order to like advance to adulthood? That generation is is having a very different experience at important developmental times in their life. Like, I'm so curious what that will look like. Maybe not in a year, but in like three years or five years. The ability to be flexible, to shift, to be able to not follow some rule-bound way of living. I mean, it feels scary because it, right. it, de- it definitely feels unstructured, but it feels like it gives a lot of permission for creativity. That makes sense. And so I don't know the answer to your question, but I'm super curious about that. You know what it's like? I have an analogy. Okay. Here it is. <laughs> you should see the look on your face. No, I'm, really so de- I'm very, very, very delighted with Finger myself. Finger up and everything. So pleased. Okay. So pleased with this. So Lord of the Rings. Mm. You've seen it oh, or yeah. read it? Oh, yeah. Remember the ants, the, the trees that walk? Yes, I so, love those guys. What's really cool about those tree things is that trees ain't supposed to walk. Yes. They're just not supposed to do that. No. But these do. Okay. And what's happening is, is that the trees are fucking walking. People are pulling themselves up by the roots and they're walking. Mm-hmm. And it is crazy. That's mm-hmm. what's happening. Mm-hmm. And who knows where this forest is gonna go. Right. That is so interesting. I do wonder from like a local perspective here, how much this will create a drain out of the Bay Area in terms of sort of intellectual property. Because so much of what people do here doesn't require their physical presence. I've, I've wondered like what that will do to real estate here, what that will do to economy here. Crush it to nothing. <laughs> We're going to be a suburb. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, if you're just scavenging and trying to survive here, because it's so expensive and just having just being a teacher on a teacher salary here doesn't even afford you to stay here anymore yeah maybe it will soon yes i mean maybe that we'll see some rebalance of something maybe we'll see actual families <laughs> living here yeah that would be there's not very many kids in san francisco mm, not anymore maybe it'll because san francisco used to be kind of a much more artsy city kind of hokey and pokey i wonder if it'll become more like that again i don't know i don't I don't actually believe anything can go back to something. No, because we have all this new infrastructure, right? Yes. And it's kind of like we're going to be playing amongst the ruins of the heyday of San Francisco. Like I think the heyday of San Francisco has come and gone in a way. Oh, interesting. Like Rome. Yeah, it's past. We're over the peak. All Mm. those fancy restaurants, all those really extravagant apartments and homes and stuff and like just the weird like the parklets you know the, the strange projects you'd see all over the city just popping up because there was so much money running around and so many so many people just doing weird shit have you ever been to costa rica or no. someplace tropical colombia well yeah mm-hmm. so you notice how in tropical areas stuff will grow on anything oh yeah like a f- you can you can like chop up a tree and leave it in your basement and then use it to make a fence and then the fence will sprout because it's still alive you know like <laughs> That's how things are down there. Like everything fucking grows. Mm -hmm. I'm swearing a lot today. And 
in San Francisco, before this shit hit the fan, you could kind of start a business doing anything anywhere because there was so much money and so much stuff happening that you could like, I'm going to set up this thing on the corner and it'll sprout. You know, I'll set up this coffee stand or I'll set up this art weird thing, or I'll start a, you know, I don't know how many restaurants would open per week, you know, how many weird ideas and weird startups just would pop up all over the place. And it was like, things would just grow any place. But that's not the case now at all. It's a ghost town. I mean, look at the marina. Look at Union Street. Look at Chestnut Street. Look at, it's spooky. Mm -hmm. It's all gone. I mean, you're naming what feels like an opportunity for distribution of the wealth more evenly through this through the country. Yeah. Possibly. I don't know that to be absolutely true because there is something very attractive about the outer states. Yeah, what's going to happen when all these people with money and fat paychecks are moving to, you know, nothing against Detroit, but Detroit, you know, yeah. and other places? Like they're suddenly going to bring their money and their politics with them. It's going to change the face of the nation. Things are going to be real different in five years because of that, I would say. Just because of that alone, people working remotely and, and using their dollars and their and their voting to, to change stuff in their communities. Because that feels exciting. Like when I hear that, I feel myself being really grateful that that might be an opportunity for more people. Yeah. And who's going to come out here? What are they going to, and what are they going to, you know? Surfers. Surfers are going to come out here. I'll, I'll tell my friend Brad Smallwood that. Yes. He would love that. He surfs. Surfers and wine drinkers. That's who's coming out here. Aren't the wine drinkers already here though? Yeah, but they'll still come. The wine in California is still wonderful. I mean, it's got competition now in other places, but it's solid here still. Do you think that people will travel less? I've been wondering that actually. No. If I had to guess, I would say the travel industry is going to rebound triple. I think there's going to be an explosive time after we get this thing dialed in. It's going to be like the roaring 20s, I'll bet you. It's just mm -hmm. people are going to go crazy. I've been trying to, I've been using these dating apps and like dating is impossible. It's already hard enough to get a date, mm -hmm. but now that there's this COVID stuff and you can't actually meet the person, there's another layer of bullshit to chew through. <laughs> <laughs> you know like and it's just like it was already hard enough and everybody's moving so there's like fewer people so yeah i guess these are all kind of like extroverted solid physical changes that we're looking at right now mm -hmm. how do you think the spirit of the world the spiritus mundi uh will change i think it depends on different parts of the world like what the value systems are that are already in place like how you value quality time how you value connection, how you value community, work-life balance, how you value family. I, I, I don't actually have a clear sense around the spirit piece. Neither do I. And when you ask, I can feel, even when I speak it, there's this, this gap. Like I'm wishing for all of us to appreciate nature more, to appreciate what we have more, mm -hmm. to connect with it fuller, and to really embrace it in a way that we feel less separate from it than we do now. Right. But I don't actually have a deep sense of whether or not that will happen. Mm -hmm. I I'm, I think I have a little bit of fear that, like you said, the, the heydays, the roaring 20s coming back again when people feel safe enough to get back out there. Mm -hmm. so I feel a little nervous that that kind of energy can be really destructive. Yeah. That that feeling cooped up and that longing, that that desiring to get out, to connect, to like, have something that it can be destructive it can be in a really aggressive detrimental way it reminds me i was reading something recently about the value of of porn and how you know the increase of pornography on the internet they believe has a direct correlation to a decrease in sexual assault i'm making a squinty face at you because i don't follow that when people have access to exploring fantasies or having somehow contact with the thing that's forbidden right there's a more room more space where they don't feel this pent-up need to go out and make something happen or to take something or get something because they have access to it so there's not a hunger that's building okay so you're saying i see so that the explosive nate the explosive the denial that's going on people feeling denied and feeling right. angry and feeling resentment toward right. this experience that they right. feel, it's building a hunger a starvation so great that there's this need to go out and like ravage. That's some of my fear I'm talking about. That's interesting. And maybe that's a fear because of something that I know has happened historically and I can't put a finger on it. I've talked about this before, but there's this word 
and antiodromia, which is when there's a super preponderance of one force, it always, it almost always switches to an opposite, its opposite state. So, you know, you can go from wartime to peacetime to wartime in a heartbeat. Um, and right now we're in a really unbalanced state of quiet and introversion and contemplation and just feeling well, trapped. And what happens when you suddenly take the strings off of that one? Yeah, that's what I'm concerned yeah. about. <sighs> and we, we tend to do everything in our culture here in the U.S. in very extreme way, in very polarizing ways. We do, don't yes. we? Yeah, we're a rambunctious group. Mm -hmm. us, us, we're very all or nothing. Us Americans. Mm -hmm. yeah. We're all on diets, trying to be the healthiest, most fit people in the world, yeah. or we're all fat, slugging around Disneyland. We're all playing Pokemon Go. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all striving hard to be super successful, make lots of money, have big houses, shop at Costco. Yeah. Or we are like, all locked down and COVID, people are unemployed, the, the economy's dying. It's extreme. Interesting. Well, that's a dour note. <laughs> I read an article a couple months ago about other countries where there's this consensus, you know, universally of how to agree to be thoughtful and safe. When you're not trying to convince anyone of something and people aren't <laughs> swathed in conspiracy theories about what's happening, mm -hmm. you're able to continue to maintain some semblance of balance while also still making space for something scary happening. I want to say it was Stockholm where rather than shutting everything down and shutting everybody in and locking everything out, there was more of a general consensus of like, this thing is real. We don't know what it is. We don't necessarily want to let it control our lives. We want to go on. We want to continue to live, but we want to do it in a really considerate way. And I, we have a hard time doing that here. We have become so polarized politically and so susceptible to fear that we have some people who there's parts of the country that are just absolutely negligent almost uh -huh. in addressing the issue. And then there's other parts of the country that have become so vigilant, extreme. Yeah. And how do you help those two have a conversation? The need is the same. Right. The need to keep living their lives in some way that feels connected without unnecessarily threatening everybody around them. Mm -hmm. How do you help bring together polarization? This is Congress's biggest dilemma. I have no idea how to do that. I mean, part of the problem in our culture, maybe all cultures, is that when people disagree, there's a sense of moral superiority or moral positioning. Like if we disagree, we're morally different and you're bad. Hmm. Like I've got, I've got a couple friends that are on totally opposite ends of the COVID issue, mm -hmm. totally opposite. Mm -hmm. And I sometimes have them argue by proxy by using <laughs> <laughs> like, so and so will send me a thing and I'll say, what do you think of this? And they'll send a retort and I'll send it back and forth. And like, what do you think of, you know, here I am outing myself, but um, you know who you are guys, but uh, I respect them both deeply. They're mm -hmm. both brilliant people and they mm -hmm. both make excellent points. But if you put these two gentlemen in a room together, mm -hmm. I don't think you would have a good, it would not be a good time. So what are the points they're making? Like, what are you hearing? Well, I mean, just, you know, just the, the huge, you know, like um, that COVID is not that dangerous and that it's more like the flu versus it's really dangerous. This is, we just need to lock down for a, a month and a half and not leave our apartments and do what Italy did, you know, versus the death count is being, uh, you know, isn't realistic because hospitals are getting kickbacks supposedly for counting people as dying from from COVID as opposed to something else. So they get a certain amount of money, all this kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I was even, I was on the phone today with a nurse from Florida. She's a registered nurse. And it's because I, 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 I do this testosterone thing through this company in Florida. And she was like, yeah, I think this is all bullshit. And, you know, it's not that bad. And, um, you know, it's just the media. And this is a registered nurse in the eye of the hurricane, mm -hmm. fucking Florida, mm -hmm. saying this. Like, whoa, that's, that's some strong words. And so instead of, I don't argue with her, because I don't, she's nice and she's one of my treating physicians. So I don't, I don't really want to get into it with her. Um, how do I get people to talk? <laughs> how do we get people to talk? I don't really know. I think we've lost the art of debate. I think Jews are great at it. <laughs> Truly, like there's like the, uh, I don't remember what it's called, but there's this, 
the Orthodox Jews, they'll get together on a certain day of the week or a certain thing. The men will get together and they'll argue vehemently for hours about things in the Talmud. And the, they'll, they'll yell at each other all day long about, they'll argue, they'll get the text and they'll be pointing and shouting and, and they get into it and they make a thing of it, you know? And it's like, it's kind of cool. It's like they can argue, but they're not mad at each other, but they're just yelling and, and they're, they're passionate. It's kind of glorious, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think as a culture we know how to debate at all. No. We know how to name call. We know how to blame. We know mm -hmm. how to play the victim real well. Man, we're good at that. COVID is happening to us. Oh, poor, like you were saying earlier. Oh, poor us. Look at what's happening to us. Like, <laughs> oh, oh, existence. Oh, God. How could you do this to us? How do we get people to talk? I, I, usually, what I do when I sense somebody uh, losing their shit is I tell, I, I say, let's have a conversation about conversation. I'm kind of, we're kind of on a tangent here, but that's okay. What I do is I step into the point of view of the person whom I, with whom I disagree. I'm particularly good at this and embody it and say, ah, this is where you're coming from. Okay. Show me this information. Show me where, and then I can really step in and, and kind of be in it. And once I do that, the person relaxes because they know I'm not going to bite their head off because that's what everyone's prepared for. And then I kind of start making small points like, well, what about this angle? What about that? What do you think of this? And I kind of, I don't know. That's how I do it. How do you do it? <laughs> well, it's interesting to hear you say that because as I'm listening to you, I'm wondering like, how come both can't be true? How come it can't be true that this is not that deadly? Because it feels like for some portion of the population, it isn't deadly. For some portion of the population that are asymptomatic all the yeah. time, there is no risk. That's true for some groups. Yeah, it is. And for young people. And, and then there is the other thing that this is, you know, it's deadly and it's going to decimate some portion of the population. That's true too. Mm -hmm. You can't not make it true. No, you can't. I guess I wish that they had put a ton of energy into protecting the old and infirmed and just really put all the resources to that direction. Um, I don't know. A lot of people are dying and they didn't have to. And they are. Well, maybe they did. I don't know. I mean, maybe trying to stop COVID from spreading in the United States is like trying to keep the ocean from coming in with a woven basket. You know, maybe it's not like nations like Japan and in South Korea and and Italy, because it's there's no way it's, it's difficult. Such a vast maybe it's just impossible to freaking contain it. Maybe mm -hmm. it's just maybe maybe our psyches are such that we cannot be. I mean, we're such a rambunctious society that it's not in our nature to be super contained. I think the people that are objecting to the masks are just like they're they're being. I think in a way more true to their nature. It's like we are not a contained people. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Well, I don't know. I just hope I hope they live to talk about it. What comes up here for me, and I know we're kind of getting to a close here, but you brought up, you know, I wish we had put all the resources towards protecting the elderly and the people who are most vulnerable. And it, I don't know how to state this any other way, except that vulnerable population is almost always the population that's forgotten. That's the population that we don't most of the time that's really true, isn't honor. it? Yes. They are invisible. Until now. Until now. Huh. And all of a sudden, it occurs to me that we are so concerned about saving their lives. For what? Exactly what is it we're trying to honor by saving their lives? Are we going to go to them for wisdom? Are we going to make them more visible? Are we going to value them more? Right. Are we going to actually take care? Are we going to put resources towards making the end of their life really comfortable and satisfying rather than sticking them in isolated, really uncomfortable, cold, isolated homes where they don't see their families. It's a fascinating point. I'm just curious, like what exactly is that objective of trying to save lives at all costs? Right. For what? In, in service to what? Right. In other words, why couldn't the spirit with which we are now concerned about these populations persist and why didn't it persist before yeah why now suddenly why are we so concerned now yes what a fascinating question i'll have to really think about that one that's a whole episode right there <laughs> no but really that's a fast i had not ever considered that and it's really interesting because i think people could take that in the wrong way and say oh she's saying fuck the elderly no she's not saying that she's saying that why are we suddenly so righteous about protecting a population that has been so invisible for so long yeah, and that we don't put any services toward. Right, so we didn't have the structures and institutions to protect them in a way that we could have. Yeah. I mean, you have guys like Cuomo, who's, you hear about that thing where he stuck all the patients with COVID into a nursing home <laughs> and so got all the people in the nursing home sick and a lot of them died, you know? Like crazy stuff like that. Mm -hmm. 
I'm just curious, like what what is it about our fear, our fear of death, like how we're not living enough now that it gets projected? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, we have to save the elderly. I mean, before this all happened, I remember having a conversation with someone and I could be wrong about this number, so mm-hmm. I just, I don't remember the details specifically, but I feel like I read somewhere that the suicide rate was over 800,000 a year worldwide, not uh-huh. just in the US, but worldwide, 800,000. That's a huge number. Yeah. And the first three months, four months of COVID, there wasn't even that kind of worldwide loss. Uh-huh. But that That's people just choosing to end their lives because something's not working. We're not paying attention to that. No one seems to be real worried about the 800,000 people who are yeah. committing suicide every year. Yeah. Something feels very confusing yeah, to me about off. this. Yeah, it is Or just the people die from drunk driving or the people that are dying from, I think, uh, yeah, 150,000 people a day die in the world. I mean, it, it's that's a fact. Yeah. It's real. It's happening. And all of a sudden, we're so worried about so many people dying. But for as long as I've been alive, hundreds of thousands of people have been dying every day. Yeah. And there hasn't been that much concern about people dying. I, I, think it's, I think it's the fact that it's this, I think we've got this delusion that we can control it. Mm. Or maybe not a delusion. Maybe we can control it. And people like, we can now control. It's like we can control death. And it, I, I think it's sort of like, well, it's an extra 150,000 people per year that didn't have to die. And I think that upsets people because it's sort of like you can you can now point a thing at you know whatever and say, well, we did this wrong thing and, and these people didn't have to go. And I think it's also that we do, it, it's mysterious. Like we don't understand it. You know, there's mm. all these weird symptoms that are coming up with people and long lasting, you know, like like lung issues and cognitive issues that are that are popping up. So I think it's the mystery of it that's really frightening to people that we don't know what we're dealing with. Because if someone dies in a car accident, you know what that was about or a drug overdose or whatever it was. But COVID is like, what is that? We don't know what it is. I mean, even look at it. It's like this weird spiky ball thing. It's like, what is that thing that's coming for us? It's like archetypally, it's like a demon. An alien. It's an alien. Yeah, it's an alien. It's an alien that's coming for us. And it's mm-hmm. scary. Mm-hmm. And the biggest, fattest number are the elderly. So that's what gets held up is like, look, this is really this thing is really scary. And I think I agree with you. I don't think people are actually that concerned about the elderly. I think they're concerned for themselves and they're actually feeling the mortality for the first time in their lives and they're projecting it onto the elderly, which is really lame because we really should take way better care of those communities. I mean, look at all the mentally ill folks that are homeless. I mean, like, why can't we help those people? It's not their fault they're on the streets and we just let them wander around in a schizophrenic state. It's terrible. The point you're making about control feels extremely relevant and it does feel like some illusion of control that we all have some illusion that we're in charge and that we're in control we do have choices but we're not in control right we can choose how to respond but there is nothing that we ultimately control yeah Oof. and that's what this whole thing is is we're out of work or in our homes cooped up out of control jesus contained and feeling uncontained Ooh. that's some dark stuff professor <laughs> you should have been a professor. <laughs> mm, I can't wait to see what shows come out of this. Oh man! What does Netflix create of this? Oh, what does HBO create of this? I, I I just want a break. You know, I want something fun. You got to go to the river. You want some fun? Go float. Go float. Go float. I don't float so good. You will if you're on an inner tube. Where'd you go? To the Sacramento River. Okay. And I found fl- a nice little spot where there was nobody, <laughs> and just pulled my inner tube up. Just floated. You floated. Mm. You just drove up to the river randomly and threw an inner tube in the water and dunked yourself in. Yep. And it was risky because it, because people are starting to gravitate more and more towards these natural places to right. get out, but still feel like they have some distancing. Yeah. So I just took a risk, and it felt so good. It felt so good to just be out out of control mm-hmm. in the water, trusting that the current would take me someplace eventually, and I would be able to get. <laughs> I just had a funny image of like a um, a floaty COVID, like like an inflatable COVID that you could like a beach ball. <laughs> yeah. Just jump on and yeah, go for a ride. <laughs> see where it takes you. That'd be a good amusement park ride. Someone ought to come out with like COVID nineteen, like COVID COVID marbles or COVID candy and COVID. Like let's make fun of it. Like COVID. I don't know cotton candy, cotton coat and coffee. Yeah, or COVID cotton candy. What else? Like COVID dumplings, COVID pie i don't know what that would be 
child's COVID pie. Uh, I'm thinking of something with squash in it. <laughs> <laughs> I bet two people have quarantine parties, you know, in like years to come. That's so funny that you say that. I could totally see that happening. Like instead of dressing up as the 80s right. or dressing up as like the 60s, you dress up as COVID quarantine. <laughs> so you come in sweatpants and like, you know, a, a beater, face mask, a face mask, gloves. <laughs> Yeah. Actually, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, assuming beta breakers happens, not right. this, you know, next year. I wouldn't be surprised if like everybody dresses up COVID style or yeah. beta breakers. Ever see those weird balls that are like as big as they're like 30 feet across and you get inside them? Yes, I know exactly what you're describing. So they need to do a COVID ball. Yes. Right. We were talking about trying to find some of those to rent recently. My daughter turned 13 and she was so heartbroken that she wasn't going to get to really celebrate 13 with her tween friends. She's been waiting to be 13 since she was like eight. She doesn't know how lucky she is. Right. To avoid that. <laughs> so we're, here we are sitting around trying to rack our brains. Like, is there any way to honor this that's, you know, safe and appropriate and keeps in mind all the needs and that's what we came up with that we needed to stick the kids in a bunch of those balls and throw them out on Chrissy <laughs> <laughs> and let them just bounce around and like you know ricochet off of each other as a way to I want to do that oh at least it'd be contact you know what I want to do I want to get one of those and just go down like Van Ness Avenue like I'm just gonna like go down the street because there's no cars out anymore that's true actually I dare you to go down Steiner in it <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty steep hill. I know. But you pretty... get some you get a good rush. I might die at the bottom. No. No, Pete's coffee would catch you. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you listening at home, Steiner is very steep and the marina has like three Pete's coffees in it. Your chances of if you hit anything, you'll probably hit a Pete's coffee. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, Ben, well, I appreciate having this conversation. There's something about being able to just Name it all in one place. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? It is. Talk about it all in one place feels really good. What do you think I should name the podcast? <sighs> well, I'll tell you this. The movie that keeps popping up in my head over and over during this whole time is the Will Smith movie, I Am Legend. Yeah. So it needs to be something like I Am COVID or... <laughs> I Am COVID? I Am COVID. I'm not going to name it I Am COVID, but it's a, <laughs> I appreciate the the sentiment. Let's see. What would we... What the would Fog we, of COVID? No. No. Letting it all out on COVID. F COVID. <laughs> F you COVID. COVID is dumb. COVID is stupid. Two therapists talk about how stupid COVID A is. Sign of the times. Sign of the times. Um, I'll think of something. The end is coming. The end is coming. The end is coming. Holy the, shit, that's dark. The end is coming. Because it's ambiguous. It's like the end is that going to be good or is it going to be bad? Exactly. We don't know, but it's coming. The end is coming. Okay. I'll I will strongly I'll make that a strong candidate. The end is coming. All right. Well, listen, Professor Hanger. <laughs> I, I deeply appreciate your Thank time. You. Uh, I am probably not going to edit a word of this, and I don't care about that. I love this about you. Yes, I'm going to publish this and probably upset a lot of people, and that'll be great. Maybe we'll have some good debate from it. Well, hopefully, nobody eggs my apartment. That's okay. Egg cleans up pretty easily. You I see a little vinegar. And I like it. I'm on a, a low carb diet anyway. So perfect. Yeah. Not to worry about it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh huh. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. As always, if you have any questions or would like to appear as a guest, please feel free to contact me at benjaminrusick at gmail.com. That's B E N J A M I N R U S S A C K at gmail.com. And remember, if you ever find that your plate is full, Ask yourself this, maybe you just need a bigger plate.